I want to share something with you that, that for a bit, I'm, I'm going to focus on some of you fathers and some of you men. It is Father's Day. And, um, you know, I feel no obligation to talk about fathers on Father's Day. I don't think there's a rule that says I have to. But I, I do believe that, that God needs you. And I believe that God needs you in his body, just like he needs the mothers and the sons and the daughters and the brothers and sisters. He needs you. And he needs you to realize who you are. And my heart goes out to you fathers who say, I don't know if I have anything to give. I don't know if I have anything to offer. I, I, I don't think I'm the guy you're looking for. My heart goes out to you because we've all felt that. In ourselves, the Bible says, uh, not that we are adequate in ourselves. It says we are not adequate in ourselves, but it is God who has made us adequate. He has equipped us. He has anointed us. He called us. And so I want you to hear this. Whether you have kids or not, I want you to hear the call to be part of the family of God and to take your place and to realize God's using you. God's put something in you that we need that the body needs, that the world needs. And so I want you to hear it today. I want to read you something from the first letter to the Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul wrote this. And, and the Apostle Paul, as far as we know, never had any natural kids. He was never married. Uh, you know, there might be some religious tradition that says maybe he had a wife or kids before all this and they died or something. We don't know. What we do know uh, is that as far as when he was walking this uh, ministry out from the moment he got born again, he did not have a family. And he at times said, you know, it's probably easier for me that I don't have a natural family because I can just focus on the ministry and I don't have to kind of live in two worlds. I can just put all my heart and soul into the ministry. But just because he didn't have biological kids, just because he didn't have a wife, doesn't mean he didn't understand family. In fact, he uses the word son more than like anybody else, he was a father to so many. Uh, he knew what it was like to be fathered and to be a father. And, and, and so, you know, you need to hear this, that whether or not you've got kids, whether or not someone calls you dad, there is a call in our life to be sons and daughters. And there's a call in our life to be fathers and mothers. And there's a call in our life to be brothers and sisters. Because when you came into the kingdom of God, you did not come to an organization or an institution or a, 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 a just a group of people gathered by a common belief. You didn't come to some sort of institutional uh, uh, thing. This, this is not something that is like a college of, of, of physicians or, or a, a, a fellowship of this or whatever. This is a family. One of the great truths that we find in the, in the New Testament is that Jesus made a way for us to come to the family again, to be reconciled to the Father, to be called sons and daughters of the living God. We have been brought into the family of God. We've been grafted in to the, to the family of God and been sons and daughters of Abraham and sons and daughters, more, most importantly, of God, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our Father. And when Jesus walk the earth he the, the the term he used for God more than God more than king more than master more than Lord the term he used was father he's father and Jesus at, at the end of his ministry prayed a prayer in John chapter 17 and it starts the same way he told us how to pray father it starts with father because that's remember when the disciples said Lord teach us how to pray 
the way he opened that prayer, the most important thing that you have to start with is I'm coming to my Father. Uh, yes, he is my King. Yes, he's my Lord. Yes, he's God. Yes, he's the creator of all things, but I am coming to my Father. And for a lot of people in our generation, Father is a tricky word. There are some churches that don't even like to refer to God as Father because they feel it's restrictive or they feel it's a trigger for some people. I want to tell you, you can't judge God based on your earthly experiences. We are broken in so many ways as a human race. We have fallen far from God, and yet He has restored us. He is calling us back. He's brought a path through Jesus Christ, His Son, to come back to Him, to be restored, to be renewed, to be brought back to what it really means to know Him. And so you can't throw out, you can't throw out His identity because your view of his identity has been shaped by your history. I want you to know that God wants to heal all those cracks in you. If you had abuse in your background, if you had rejection, if you had abandonment, if you had insecurity and fear and all these other things, God is able not just to work in spite of those things, but he is going to heal those places in you. And when he heals and restores, it's even better than it would have been had nothing ever happened. He restores to the way, it, not just that, the way it was, but the way it should be. God wants to restore those places in you. I want you to receive that today. Would you receive from the Spirit of God as we read His Word? Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Remember, the Thessalonians are a church that he started, he's planted, he brought the gospel uh, to their region. Uh, he, he preached it, he paved a path, he set people in order, but, but here's the thing, he stayed with them for quite some time. And with his, with his helpers, and they stayed and shepherded this group. They stayed and loved them into something. They, they stayed and, and didn't just preach to them. They lived among them. They gave their lives. And so when he writes this, he doesn't just write this as a preacher. This is not him trying to raise funds. This is not him just trying to, you know, this isn't like a post for his followers. These this is his family. These are people that he loves and has cared for and has brought the gospel to. He says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. He's talking about how we didn't come earlier in, earlier in this chapter. He says we didn't come out of greed and we're not trying to get anything from you. And here, our motives are pure. Like we're not trying to take advantage of you. And he says this in verse 7. We proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Now listen, I mean, some of us are just not secure enough in our masculinity to say, I was a mom to you. I was like a mom to you. I, I, I was like a nursing mother. You think about what it means to be a nursing mother. What a powerful role that mother has as she is feeding her child from herself from her own self, and you put yourself in a very vulnerable position to take care and give life to that child and sustain that life. And, and we know that in that process, there's bonding. In that process, there is connection. And he says, we, we cared for you as much as a mother cares for her child that she's nursed. That's how, we, that's how we treated you. We were gentle among you. Gentle is not wimpy or weak. Gentle is strong, but gentle is strength controlled. Gentle is saying, I, I know what you need. And, and I know sometimes I may get riled up. And I know sometimes I just want to force this. But I, I, I'm more concerned about you than I am about my own ego or my, my own desire to see this happen 
happen quick. So what, what he said was, when we were with you, we, we made sure that we took care of you, especially when you were new believers and needed a little more gentleness. Thank God, as we grow, we, we kind of, you know, we should be maturing so that we don't need someone to always put baby gloves when they, they talk to us or treat us a certain way. I mean, as we mature, we should be able to mature in the way we receive correction and the way we receive discipline. And discipline has got a bad rap, but it's just, I mean, think about the root of discipline is just the word disciple. And so we're talking about being discipled or being trained or being pruned or corrected. These are good things. These are parenting terms. And he says, this is the way we treated you. Having so fond an affection for you. Listen to that. We had so fond an affection for you. That means we felt something for you. There was, there was something real. We, did, we didn't see you as our supporters. We saw you as family. He says, we were well pleased. Listen to that, well pleased. It wasn't a labor for us. It wasn't a burden. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Hear that. We didn't just give you the gospel. We gave you our lives. And he says this, because you had become very dear to us. And we'll come back to that in a minute, but I want to keep reading. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now listen, Paul says in his letters, we have the right, and even Jesus told us that when you're in full-time ministry, he quotes Jesus and says, Jesus told us somebody in full-time ministry should be supported by that ministry. He says, you know, like that was a principle. But, but you see this throughout Paul's ministry. There were times where he'd go to a church and when he started out, now we know he was supported. He, he, he references it later. Many churches supported him with their giving. But when he first went to a place, if this was a place where he felt like we had to prove to them we're not after their money, we had to prove to them we're not after anything they've got, we're trying to get something to them, he said, we would work day and night. We would take another job just so you knew we weren't trying to get something from you. We were trying to get something to you. He says, so as not to be a burden to any of you, he says, we... We proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom of uh, kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not just as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Listen to what he says. He's, he, he, in, in verse seven, he uses the term like we were like a mother to you. In verse nine, he says, you were called brothers. And when he says brethren, it's He's not using it in a gender-exclusive way. He's not just saying the, the men. He's, he's really saying brothers and sisters, siblings. You recall how we treated you. And then later on, he goes down and he says, you know, uh, we were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring you as a father would his own children, exhorting. 
We're exhorting, so we're like pushing and poking. We're, 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 we're pumping you up. We're, we're bringing the word to you. We're saying this is the way. We were encouraging. When you felt like giving up, when you felt like quitting, we were like, come on, I know you can do this. There's something inside you that God has put there. And, and we're encouraging you. He says we were imploring, and that word imploring is literally a word which means to charge somebody with something, to call them as a witness, to, to say, come on, it, you need to be stand to be counted. There's something in you. I'm calling you into service. I'm, I'm calling you as a witness. And he says, as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God. You would walk in a manner worthy of God. Listen to this. He's saying, in order for you to walk in a manner worthy of God, you needed somebody in your life, hear this, you needed somebody in your life that was willing to invest in you, that was willing to speak to you in a way that maybe you didn't think they had the right to speak to you. So we had to prove and, and gain some credit with you so that you knew we had a right to say this to you. We, we weren't just using one method. We weren't just preaching at you. We weren't just teaching. We weren't just patting you on the head. He says, like a father, there's a time. Come on, guys, you know. There's a time as fathers where, where you're like, you know, uh, um, um, using the, the real, uh, I'm going to pump my kid up. I'm going to encourage them. They need right now. They, they've been having trouble on the field. They need to be encouraged. Their teammates are, 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 you know, slagging and they're slagging too. And I need to tell them they can do it. Listen, when I played soccer, sometimes it was, it was hard um, because my parents were so encouraging um, that, and, and they had these accents, like my parents were from the States, right? And I was born and raised in Saskatchewan and Alberta. And so when I, you would know when my parents were yelling on the field, you knew exactly who it was. But I had these encouraging parents. And so, you know, it made you feel like I could do this. There's a time where you got to pump your kids up. But there's also a time where you have to say, come on, you know, you know what to do. You, can, you need to do this. There are times where you need to correct. But notice throughout all of this, that Paul is not using the language of an organization. He's not using business language. He's not using trade language. He is not using uh, you know, institutional language. He is using the language of the kingdom. And the language of the kingdom is the language of family. Hear that. The language of the kingdom is the language of family. Listen, we can't tell you to come into the kingdom, get born again, and you become a child of God and just teach you as God is your father without embracing the fact that if you came into the kingdom of God and called God your father, you're now my brother. You're now my sister. You, you have come not just into a church, you've come into a family. And this is something that is difficult sometimes when we're coming out of a culture where family has been so broken down. And I'm not just talking about one culture. It's, it's all over the world. But in our North American society, you can see it so damaged. The family unit has been so damaged. There, there's, there's dishonor all around. Young are dishonoring the old. The old are dishonoring the young. There's, there's, there's uh, fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and everyone in between separating from each other. There is a culture of separation. There is a culture of abandonment. There is an idea of, of everyone walking around with an orphan heart being separated from each other because that's what the enemy does. That's what Satan does is he separates what, is, what, is, what did the Bible say we have? We have the ministry of reconciliation. 
We have the ministry of reconciliation. The Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament ends with a statement that the New Testament begins with. And that statement is this, I am sending my prophet Elijah to unite, reunite the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. This is something that God is doing. And so we, we, we need to relearn some things. I want you to see here that in family, you don't just preach to people. In family, you don't just teach people. Listen, your kids have teachers, but those teachers aren't their parents. You, you, you might have a, you have a job that gives you a check, or, or you might even have support from other places, but, but the person that's providing the food, that's not all it takes to be a parent. It has to be more than teaching. It has to be more than providing. What does it mean to be a parent? Yes, there's teaching. Yes, there's providing. But if we were to ask ourselves what really makes a parent what really makes a father, what really makes a mother, it's more than just the essentials of, of taking care of them and making sure they're sheltered and, and making sure they have food on the table and that they learn something and keeping them, off the, you know, keeping them out of trouble, keeping them alive. There's something else involved. An institution can't raise a child. We've learned this. We've learned this through history. We've made the mistake. Take kids away from their families. Try to raise them in an institution and it won't be successful because an institution can't raise a child. Parents are meant to raise children. Parents are meant to raise children. And so he says here, we didn't just impart to you the gospel. We imparted to you our lives. You see, impartation isn't something that can just be done through you know, teaching you something to, you know, mind to mind. It's not an intellectual thing. Impartation is something that, that, that says, I have something that I want to give to you. And in this case, he's saying, we're imparting our lives. And fathers, I want to tell you today that it's going to take something from you. What God has put in you, you're going to have to learn how to receive it from God. And then you're going to have to learn how to give it away. One of the things I hear most from dads from men in the church, from men that are called to something, but they're having a struggle with that call, is that they don't feel qualified. They don't think they have anything that the next generation needs or wants. And that's, that's a real tough thing. What, what do I have possibly to, to, to offer? I mean, I don't, I don't know what music these kids are listening to. I don't, I don't know how to speak their language. I don't think they want to hear from a guy like me. Uh, we have nothing in common. And what you keep doing is you keep disqualifying yourself and you don't realize because because you know here's the thing when someone's carrying around a spirit of abandonment just and I'm not talking about like necessarily like a demon or anything I'm just saying in them they feel abandoned they feel rejected do you know what happens when you carry around that orphan heart you reject people before they have a chance to reject you and what you see so often in our society is people rejecting each other before they have a chance to be rejected. And that same fear you have, that I don't have anything to offer, those, some of those young people have and say, I don't have anything, they don't see anything in me, they don't see value in me, they don't want me either. And we're, and we're rejecting each other before we have the chance to even know each other. And God wants to restore it. See, God is raising up fathers again. God is raising up fathers. And listen, women, don't tune out. Don't say, well, this is obviously not talking to me. This is absolutely about you too. I want you to take this as well. God is raising up fathers and mothers. In this season, it is more vital than ever before. Listen, 
the reuniting of the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children of the fathers, he says, it will prepare a way for the Lord. See, Jesus is returning. And we are in a season right now where his glory is getting ready. His glory is already showing forth, but it's going to burst out in so many unexpected places. And I believe what it will see, what you'll see is you'll see a revival of family. You'll see God bring back the love of family. Listen, he says here, he says, we were imparting our very lives to you because you had become very dear to us. See, that word very dear is actually the word in the Greek that, that means beloved. And it's translated beloved most often in our New Testament. It's actually the word agapitos, beloved. He says very dear, but, but when you see this word throughout the New Testament, I want you to pay attention. If you were to look it up, you'd find Many times when it's mentioned in the New Testament, it's surrounded by family pronouns. Uh, Beloved son, beloved brother, beloved sister. It's it's the first time it's ever used in the Bible, like in the the Greek word in the New Testament, is in the book of Matthew where Jesus is, is baptized and he is anointed with the Holy Spirit. And the Father, God the Father, speaks from heaven in a way that everyone can hear, thunders from heaven, and he says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you see it throughout the New Testament. That term beloved, if you were to look at the word, you see the root word is agape. And that is that word that's the love of God. It's this all-encompassing love. It's the love that makes all the other loves have any force. It is real, unconditional love. And they call each other beloved. Paul says, you became beloved to me. That's why I treated you like family. That's why I loved you like family. That's why I didn't distance myself from you and say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm your preacher, but I'm not your dad. I, I'm your preacher, but I'm not your brother. I'm your preacher, but I'm not your son. No, he put himself in their lives and he gave his life, imparted his life. I want to tell you, fathers, listen to me today. God is asking you, what do you have to give? And so often we answer, I've got nothing. Lord, I don't have anything. I don't know how to be a dad. Or I know I'm a terrible dad. I'm not a good dad. It's so sad to hear how many people say, I am just not good at it. I don't know. Maybe I didn't have a good dad. Or maybe I had a good dad and I failed him. And I feel like I'm going to fail my son. You know, my dad... Uh, had, had a good family, had, had a safe upbringing. He was provided for it. You know, he had a, a family that loved him. But, you know, his dad, by the time he was born, his, his parents were pretty old. Like, they're, they're, his siblings were much older than him. He was the baby of the family. His dad would come home tired from work. And his dad would just need some time to decompress. And, and just, you know, he was tired. You know, he was older. He's tired. He'd been working hard. And, and so my dad very often was just left to his own devices. And, and not in a neglectful way, but just, just entertain yourself. He'd run around and he'd do science experiments. And he was kind of like a Dennis the Menace character. He'd cause trouble throughout the neighborhood. But you know what? He said to me, I remember when I was a teenager, he said to me, son, I... I there's a lot about being a dad I don't know. And I, I have to learn from God how to be a dad. He said, I want you to forgive me if I failed you in any area, but I'm learning some of this for the first time. You know, that said so much to me because what he was saying was, I, I want to be who you need me to be, and I'm doing everything, but I'm having to learn from Heavenly Father. Because you know what? Our earthly fathers can't give that to us. I mean, they, can, they, need, they give something, but they can't give everything. 
Maybe today you're saying, I know God wants me to give something, but I just don't have it. I want you to read this with me in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, Jesus sends out his disciples and he's telling them to go to different cities in Israel. And he says this in verse 7, 10 verse 7, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Hallelujah. I want to read that to you again. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Praise God. Freely you received, freely give. Do you hear that? Jesus is not asking them to get, how could you heal somebody? How could you raise the dead? How can you make a leper whole again? How can you do any of that? He's saying you've received something freely. Now give it away. The problem with many of us is that we are trying to give something away. We've never learned how to receive. Jesus told the disciples, I have shown you the Father. I showed you the Father. One of his names in the book of Isaiah, it prophesies about him. And yeah, we know the Prince of Peace and Everlasting God. But one of the names that was given to Jesus, the Son, was Everlasting Father. And you say, well, let me get this straight, because this messes with my idea of the Trinity. I thought there was Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How can Jesus the Son also be a Father? But you understand that in your own life. Listen, how could you be a Father? You're a Son, right? I'm a Son, but I'm a Father. And so what I'm giving as a Father, much of it is what I've received as a Son. And a lot of us, we struggle because we don't think we have anything to offer because we, we, as a father, we don't have anything to give because we haven't learned how to receive as a son. Mothers, we, we sometimes struggle. Mothers, you, you struggle to, to be the mother God called you to be because you haven't first learned how to be a beloved daughter of the king. But God is restoring that. Jesus said to his disciples, he didn't ask them to give what they had in themselves. He asked them to give what they'd received from him. Paul said that. He said, what I, I have, I've given, I've preached what I've also received. He said it to Timothy, what you've received from me, what you've seen in me, go ahead and practice that. It's what you've received that you have to give away. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Elijah, and he raised up a young prophet named Elisha, and he called him like a son. He treated him like his own son, not just a servant, but a son. And he knew that he was going to pass his ministry on to this young man. And when he's getting ready to go, he's preparing Elisha and he says, listen, I, I, I know I'm going to get called up to heaven. God's going to take me away. It's going to be amazing, but he's going to take me away and you need to be ready. And his young prophet Elisha said to him, he said to him, like a son to a father, you know, like, like when you're ready to go. In, in the Bible, when, when the fathers were ready to go, they would pass a blessing onto their kids. They would pray, they would lay their hands on them so that they would leave them with something. And so Elisha knows that Elijah's gonna leave him his ministry. He's gonna leave him this call of God. He's gonna leave him this, this, this uh, anointing to carry out as the prophet in Israel. And he says to Elijah, the young Elisha says to his 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 father in the faith, his spiritual father, he says to Elijah, give me a double portion of what you have. He's not asking for his money. He's asking for his anointing, that, that power of God in his life. And Elijah responds to him and says, you ask a hard thing. Well, why? Why is that hard? Maybe the first thing you think is that, well, Elijah doesn't want this guy to go further than him. But is that the way fathers think? Do fathers think that way? Do fathers say, I don't want you to go further than me? 
Maybe some fathers do, but the real heart of a, of a good father doesn't say, I want to keep you down because I want to be the greatest. A real father says, you're going to go further than I did. Thank God for the fathers in the Old Testament and the New. The fathers that said, you're going to go further. Moses said, I, I've seen into the promised land, Joshua, and I can't go, but you're going to go where I never got to go. Abraham said, he rejoiced and said, man, I have seen the, the promised land God has for me, and I'm not going to be there physically. I'm going to, be, I'm going to live in tents. I may never possess the land like my kids will, but the, my, the generation that's coming, the, the descendants of mine will possess this land and that's good enough for me Joseph said when you go you take my bones with you I go with you see there is such David said I can't build the temple but Solomon you're going to build the temple a godly father doesn't try to keep his kids down he's not afraid of being outshone a godly father says you go further than me and so when Elijah says you've asked a hard thing it's not because his ego is taking a hit it's because Elisha asked for double the anointing and Elijah's thinking, I can't give away what I don't have. Do you hear me? We can't give away what we don't have. So he says, like, how can I give you double what I have? I only have what I have. I can't give you what I don't have. And so Elijah says to him, well, basically says, you know, you're, you're asking for a favor from me, and I'm going to have to ask this as a favor from God. He says, when I go up, if you see my mantle fall, this will be your sign. If you see my mantle fall, you'll know God answered your prayer. So he went up, and, and I truly believe that Elijah went to God and said, Lord, give him a double portion. See, Elisha wasn't asking because he wanted to be a big man. He wasn't asking because he wanted power. He was asking because he knew his nation needed that anointing. His nation needed that power. His he needed it because his nation needed it. And so he didn't ask for himself. He was asking because he knew that Israel needed the anointing. And they needed it in greater measure. And it was a big job in front of him and he needed everything. And do you know what? When Elijah was caught up by those heavenly chariots, he didn't die. He was caught up. His mantle fell to the ground. And in our Bible, Elisha is recorded as doing twice as many, having twice as many ministry, miracles in his ministry as Elijah. It wasn't just about the number of miracles. It was about the power he walked in. But you know what's funny about that? In the New Testament and the Old Testament alike, when we talk about the greatest prophet. We talk about guys like Moses, talk about guys like John the Baptist, but the prophet God says he's going to send to reunite hearts of fathers to children and turn the disobedient to the righteous and the children to the fathers. He says that the prophet he's going to send is Elijah. The, 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 one of the prophets that stood on the mountain with Jesus were Moses and Elijah. Both of those men had sons in the faith, like not their actual sons, not their biological kids, but spiritual sons who went further than they did. Moses had Joshua that went into the promised land. Elijah had Elisha that walked in a greater anointing, double the anointing he carried. And yet it's Moses and Elijah that are honored. Because see, what God wants are the kind of fathers who don't say, who say, it's not about what I accomplish. It's not about what I have. It's about what I give away. And God wants you to know today, if you're saying this, God, let, me, let me just let you hear this. If you are saying, I don't have it. I don't have it. I am not. You don't need me. I don't have it to give. They don't want what I have. You're wrong. Or maybe you're right, 
but you need to hear it from this way. You don't have it, but God's got it. And you need to learn how to receive it so you can give it away. Remember, before Jesus did any miracles, before he did even one miracle in his ministry, he heard the approval of the Father. Everyone on the planet is longing for the blessing of their Father. In the Old Testament, they fought for it. The blessing of the Father is not just the money you give when you die. It's not just the house. It's not just the land. No, 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 that stuff is temporary. It goes away. What we want is the approval, the blessing, the seal of our Father. You may not even know you crave it, but we crave it and we chase it. And when we carry around that orphan spirit that says, nobody needs me, nobody wants me, then we pass it on to the next generation. And we wonder why it's so broken and they don't understand us and we don't understand them. We wonder why it's so hard for us to ever be corrected because we see correction as rejection because we treat each other like employees in a business. And so if you're correcting me, we, we we see like I am what I do. Not I am who I am, but I am what I do. Listen, when you're at a job, you are judged based on your performance. But when you're in a family, you are judged based on who you are. Yes, what you do matters. Come on, guys. You're not going to get away with just doing anything. No, your parents love you. But listen, why do they discipline you? They don't, they don't correct you. Your parents didn't correct you because they were afraid you're going to ruin the family business. What they, they corrected you out of love. They want you to grow up to be a good human being. And so correction in the body of Christ, so many people in North America struggle they're like, I don't know why you're in my space right now. I don't know why you're in my life. Why are, you, why are you getting your nose in my business? Why? I mean, when they're being exhorted, when they're being implored, they don't, they're like, why are, who gave you the right to talk to me this way? Why? Because we don't see each other as family. Correction is not rejection in the family of God. In fact, the Bible says discipline is proof of his love. It says discipline is proof of his delight. It says if you're not disciplined by the Father, you're illegitimate kids. If you're one of his kids, he's going to discipline you because he loves you. He's going to disciple you. He's going to train you. He's going to prune things that shouldn't be there. He's going to correct. The word correct does not mean to punish. The word correct means to make it straight again. To take something crooked and straighten it out. That's what you do with a tree in your yard. If it's growing crooked, you pull it, you stake it down so that it'll grow right again. You prune it so that it'll be healthy. That's what God wants to do for you. And he wants to use people in your life. You know, the Bible says, when I first started out as a minister, I read First and Second Timothy because those were letters to a young minister. And Paul advises him not to be intimidated by the fact that he's the young guy in the room. He said, when you have to correct or rebuke an older man, he says, talk to him like a father. Treat him like a dad. Oh, same thing with women, uh, older women. Treat them like mothers, like young women, young uh, uh, men. Treat them like brothers and sisters. See, he brings the language of family back in. Jesus said, freely you've received, now freely give. A lot of us struggle with freely giving because we've never learned how to freely receive. We haven't learned how to freely receive his love. We haven't learned how to freely receive his approval. We haven't learned how to freely receive what he has to offer. Jesus says, when you ask anything of the Father in my name, he'll do it for you. Listen to that. How do you pray? Do you pray as an employee or do you pray as a son or daughter? Because when Jesus says, come to him in my name, what he's saying is, come to him in the name of his son. And when he hears your prayer, 
He doesn't hear the prayer of an employee. He doesn't hear a prayer of a servant or a slave. He hears the prayer of his child, of his beloved, of his kid, of his son. He hears that prayer coming from a place of him as father and you as his child. You're coming to him in the name of Jesus, the perfect, spotless, beloved son of God. That's the access you have to the father. Don't you realize there's people all around you that need you? Some of you, your kids are grown. There's a next generation that needs you. You need to stop judging them based on what you don't understand about them or based on where they've messed up. We need to begin, as, as one, person, uh, one of my pastor friends said in a recent meeting, he said, fathers love the potential out of their kids. They see what's not there yet. And he says, we need fathers that will love the potential out of people. You'll see what they are. When you see Generation Z and the generation that's coming after them, what do you see? Do you see a messed up generation? Do you see a generation that's got songs and, and, and social media you don't understand? Or do you see a generation that God is going to use in a mighty way that carries a compassion, that carries a love, that carries a, a, a grace on them that is desperately needed, that God put in them? And yes, the culture around them is broken, but you don't see them based on the culture around them. You see them not even based on who they are right now, but based on what God put in them and will you love the potential out of them will you love them first will you love them listen we try a lot of times when the older try to connect with the younger we we see what's wrong first and we come in and we just try to correct them right away you can't correct somebody you're not close to it just doesn't come off you need to you need to build a bridge and before they're corrected they need to know they're accepted they need to know they're accepted in the beloved. Listen, you have to receive love so you can give love. Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, let us love. In order to love, you have to know who you are. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one that does not love does not know God, for God is love. This is all in 1 John. He goes on later and says in 1 John, Beloved, we love because he first loved us. And if you read 1 John, it is full of the word beloved and it is full of family words because that's how God works. I want you to hear today, fathers, you are needed. God wants you to impart something. You might say, you ask a hard thing. I don't have it to give. You absolutely do by the Spirit of God. See, you've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit will reveal God to us. He reveals the Father to us. That He, he leads us to Jesus and Jesus reveals the Father. This is going to happen in your life. Peter and John had nothing after the death of Jesus, they were locked in a room, afraid. When Peter was in the courtyard as Jesus was arrested, he was terrified of people. But when he got the Spirit of God in him, and when Jesus said, Peter, I've called you into ministry, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they went to the temple, and there was a man who was lame, could never walk, and said to them, hey, can I have some money? And Peter and John said, look at us. Look at us. We don't have any silver or gold. But what we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that man got up. Peter pulled him by the hand, pulled him up, and he leapt up on his feet, and he went about walking and leaping and praising God. Listen, they didn't say, we'll ask God and see if he does it. They said, we don't have what you're asking for, but what we have, we impart to you. What we have, we give to you. They understood 
And later on, they're asked, how did you do this? And they said, it wasn't us. It was the name of Jesus. They understood we have what he needs. And it didn't come from us. It came from God. You have what this generation needs. Fathers, rise up. I was asking the Lord, Lord, I know how to impart this in a room with people. In our physical gatherings, in our two Sunday morning meetings, I know how to impart this. But I don't know how to impart this online. Because I had such a sense in my spirit that this is not an intellectual teaching. This is not something that I just hope you learn. You need to receive something today. Fathers, you need to receive some healing. Some healing from your past, maybe. You know, if, if, if you, a lot of the insecurities we carry as fathers are things we, we got as sons. And I know there's an impartation for you today if you'll receive it. So I prayed, I said, Lord, how do we do this? I can't lay my hands on him. I can't pray for him in person. I, what can I do? And I believe that what the Spirit of God put on my heart, and, I, and this is what I want you to do now, is that if you want to receive this today, if you say, I need healing, I, need, I want to be used by God in this way, I, I want to receive something today. Would you get into a posture of receiving? That may be lifting your hands. Some of you, you need to get on your knees. Right now, I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God would impart something to you. Wives, if your husband is willing, if your husband is there and he's willing, would you just put your hand on them and begin to pray for your husband? Begin to pray for dad. Kids, put your hands on dad. Dad, is that okay? Kids, put your hand on your dad. In the name of Jesus. I speak release to you. Release from the bondage of insecurity, of fear, of feeling like you're not enough. I say by the Spirit of God, you are enough in Christ. You are enough. You are a good father in Him because He's a good father in you. And so in Jesus' name, rise up, man of God. Be healed from your past that has plagued you, from the doubts and insecurities you've carried. In the name of Jesus, may that balm of Gilead, may that healing power of God flow through your body right now as you surrender. May it flow through you and touch you to your very core, restoring and reviving you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes to see the field. You told your disciples, look up and see the harvest. We've looked down at our work for so long that we forgot to look up and see who needs you. So open our eyes to look up and see. I'm needed. I'm needed. I have something. Like Peter and John, I have something. I know it didn't come from me. It came from God, but I carry it. So be released into your ministry and your call as a father. In Jesus' name, amen.